Welcome to the first real estate podcast with Robert Eichard. Thank you for joining us and wanted to let you know some things in the beginning here. Um, what the intent of the podcast is, some information about myself, and then I want to go over some interesting news articles about real estate. So the intent of the podcast is going to be to keep the listener informed about real estate matters. Also want to go over interesting real estate news and and comment on those. I want to talk about interesting, relevant, current events that may affect real estate and comment on those. Occasionally, we're going to interview interesting guests and discuss their business, um, their um, re- the real estate industry with them, real estate trends, and their personal tips for success. So, jumping right into it, who am I and why would you want to listen to me about real estate? Um, I have a, I'm going to go over my resume. This is not my favorite thing to do is talk about myself. And that's not what this podcast is going to be about. But since it is the first podcast, I would like to talk about myself to inform you all um, who you're listening to. So I'm going to go over my resume here with you, which is kind of a good way to go over about myself. So I um, started my career as an attorney in New Mexico. I did real estate, law, other types of law, criminal law, um, insurance defense. Uh, I was a prosecutor, criminal defense litigation, insurance defense litigation, tax law matters, corporate matters. Most of my education in law school was, well, it's a general, it was a general law degree, but I was real estate heavy in terms of my electives. So the electives were tax and estate planning and real estate heavy. Those were the things that I focused most on in law school. Um, But my education before that was, I have a business degree from um, St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas in marketing. And I graduated magna cum laude from there. Um, And when I was in college, I um, was a uh, assistant in the statistics lab. I ran the statistics lab. I was a tutor for things like statistics, um, economics, business law, accounting, finance, and things like that. And then I, I went to law school, and then I went to more law school. I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit, but I went to more law school after law school, after I got my law degree and I went to Southern Methodist University and got some more tax law 
because I wanted to fill in some gaps that I thought I had after law school. And it also took forever to find, to get the results of the bar exam. It took a long time for them to grade it. Um, I passed it the first time, but it did take a while. So I did pretty much all I knew how to do was continue to go to school. So I did that until I passed the bar exam. Um, or until I got the results. So I started off in New Mexico. I was a lawyer for many years. And um, I did banking law collections, insurance defense litigation, as I said before, tax law matters, corporate choice of entity, probate and estate planning. Those estate planning, real estate, and probate were my heavy areas. Um, I did do other areas that I mentioned, but those were the, the things that I most mostly focused on. So, after living in New Mexico for several years and practicing law, I started doing real estate and I got involved with um, my first real estate investments were apartment complexes. Started off with one apartment complex, seven unit, then it was a 10, about a 10 unit, then about a 20 unit. And Las Cruces, New Mexico, where I'm from, is a college town, and they all were near the New Mexico State University, which led to me having a lot of um, college students as tenants. Then um, I also started investing in commercial real estate, commercial strip centers, standalone buildings turned one building that I bought that was a I think it was a sandwich shop and converted that into a an office and so it became an office building um, and I think it became a loan loan building and then something else after that but um, then also a strip center with things like um, um, Century 21 Real Estate was one of my biggest tenants. Um, had a, a coin-operated laundromat. Funny story there. But I actually was paid rent. I rented it to a guy to keep me from going in the business. Anyway, that's a funny story. But he had a laundromat down the road. I didn't really want to run a laundromat. So he paid me rent just to keep it dead so that was kind of, that's kind of a funny story funny situation um and i'd like to share those type of situations with you and on this podcast just to um let you know some funny things that have happened keep it entertaining and um but right now i'm just going through my background um so after several years of doing real estate and law in New Mexico, I um, decided I wanted to live somewhere else. I grew up there and I went back there for many years and practiced law. And then I really liked real estate more than being a lawyer. So that's what I did. Ended up moving to Florida. Um, I have a friend out there and um, 
he kind of showed me different things in Florida and we talked about it and ended up moving to Naples, Florida. But, and I did some real estate there, but mostly when I was in Florida, I did um, real estate in um, real estate investing and development in the Gainesville, Florida area. And um, there's a right outside of Gainesville um, is a town called Newberry and Newberry, Florida. And in terms of Newberry, I got some older buildings and I converted them into, well, sometimes I converted them. Some of them were converted. Some of them were just fixed up. But actually one of them was a restaurant. It still is a restaurant. One of them was retail, became a restaurant, um, a really good restaurant, Mexican restaurant. Uh, another one was a, believe it or not, a church. And it's now a restaurant. Um, so you may not know many people who have bought a church, but you're listening to one right now. Um, and so those things were there. And then also some residential duplexes, homes, things like that. But I ended up winning a couple of awards for my efforts in transforming the downtown in Newberry, Florida, because I bought some older buildings that were just sitting there. One of them was almost in a, in a situation of um, condemnation. It was almost about to be condemned and um, because of neglect. The owner of that building, of that center, lived out of state and didn't have any involvement. So I bought it and I fixed it up. And, but it was historical. The buildings were historical. They're in the historical part of Newberry, Florida. So it wasn't so easy just to buy them and fix them up that I had to go through the historical board, um, whatever they're called with the city of Newberry, um, historical committee. And, um, I had to get their permission on a lot of the steps of the things I did. I also had to get the permission from the state of Florida because they required an elevator, but these buildings were not big enough to justify an elevator. So I had to get a special exemption not to have to put an elevator, which would have been a very expensive proposition, um, especially since the upstairs of one of these buildings isn't even really used. Um, it's there and it can be used, but um, it... Um, Ended up, so I, I want to I want to award from the city of Newberry, Florida, for those efforts. Um, for let's see, what was that award? To be specific, it was special proclamation, special proclamation from the city of Newberry and mayor of Newberry, Florida, for historic property preservation, sustainable development, fostering local pride, and maintaining community community character for downtown commercial and retail revitalization and so but then also that development and was so successful that i also won the highest honor award from the state of florida from the florida secretary of state ken 
Detzner for Outstanding Property Rehabilitation Project for the year 2013. And that's called the Highest Honor Award recipient. For, so I'm proud of that. That was nice to be honored for that. And part of it was because they like to honor people that take um, underdeveloped or historical properties and do something with them rather than try to rip them down and rebuild. And so they've maintained their historical character. And it wasn't always easy. We took one brick wall that the bricks had were in very bad disrepair. And so we left what bricks we could, but then part of it, we, um, believe it or not, painted bricks on it. And, uh, and then also on the front, we painted the bricks. Um, and um, that may sound not like a good thing to do to a historical building, but it turned out beautiful. Um, the lady was an artist who helped us do it. And, um, and so she did a beautiful job. It was painstaking and very detailed work and turned out really nice. And the whole building and, and it improved the whole downtown. One of the things that happened with that as a side note was as the whole down, as this development happened and a couple other developments I did in the downtown, um, they really looked good. And so as a side benefit, some of the other, many of the other um, property owners downtown fixed up their buildings because they saw it kind of makes your building look, if your building wasn't kept up and then somebody really fixes up a building right next to you, your building really looks bad. So anyway, that a lot of people started fixing up their buildings too. So that was a cool thing that happened as a result of that. So, but those projects had finished and um, developments had finished. And I moved to Dallas, Texas after that. Still resistant to going back to being a lawyer. And what I did there is I became an dreaded HOA manager when I first moved to Dallas, Texas. Um, I didn't dread myself, but of course people do dread HOA managers and HOAs and understandably so. Uh, it's much like being a cop in certain respects. You got to enforce uh, community guidelines and things like that. And not everybody wants to have to comply, but if you choose to live in an HOA, that's a choice you make. You have to follow the community standards and the guidelines and somebody has to be the cop or the policeman or whatever you want to call it. They call it an HOA manager, but that's one of the hats you have to wear is go around and make sure people are in compliance with the HOA standards because that's the whole point of an HOA really is that you have, you have standards versus another community that may not have the standards. Um, and it's a choice. Non-HOA communities have more freedom. Um, but you may end up living next to somebody who's got their car on cinder blocks in their front yard. 
And then that that won't happen, or the, the, you can't get away with that kind of stuff in an HOA community. So, but anyway, that's kind of a side note. There are pros and cons of HOAs, and versus not living in an HOA. So I did that for about a year. Then I got into um, commercial real estate, and I managed. 13 retail shopping centers, which were grocery store anchored. Um, and I, um, that was a challenging job. I, everything from um, restaurants, office, medical, um, over a million square feet, um, huge tenants like LA Fitness, um, um, Tom Thumb grocery store on and on. Um, that was a, a good job and I learned a lot and I felt like I made a good contribution. And I've also worked at a couple other, um, commercial property firms in Dallas, Texas, doing much the same thing. Um, but, but I, I went and I started doing high-rises after I left that. And I managed a high-rise and a mid-rise office building as well as some a few other items. And um, that's one reason I did leave that, that job is I wanted to get high-rise property management experience. Um, and I have that now, and I'm glad I have that because... High-rise office buildings are animal all their own. High-rise apartment buildings, they all are. They they have unique um, characteristics, of course, because they are big, tall buildings, and big, tall, tall buildings have um, per, per peculiarities that you need to know about, and I wanted to learn about those things. So I was happy to have that opportunity. Um, and I've also worked at well I work where I currently work um, but I also worked at um, a large real estate REIT managing hospitals um, so I managed five, five hospitals at one point and that was the portfolio and that was an interesting job in and of itself uh, $40 billion, $35, $40 billion, depending on what day, I guess, you look at the um, shares, and I haven't looked at that company's shares in a while, but um, they um, publicly traded, very highly regulated, and a lot of reporting, a lot of forms, a lot of procedures. On top of all that, they were medical hospitals and medical office buildings. So you got a lot of stuff to deal with. I had a lot of stuff to deal with because of the nature of those, those, those properties and dealing with doctors, hospitals, hospital administrations. Um, they have, they have their own regulatory agencies that look over them and keep them in compliance. So it was a very interesting job. Um, and now I'm vice president at 
um, Jim Lake Management Company in Dallas, Texas. And we have a huge, diverse portfolio. We do a lot of um, urban rehabilitation. Like we take properties just like I did and I won the awards for. And we revitalize and and do what's called um, property redevelopment. And we go to places, Dallas, and then also some of the surrounding communities, buy properties and redevelop them instead of tearing them down and ripping them apart. And one, one of the reasons why redevelopment is cool or that I like it and that I did it in Florida and that I like where, working where I work right now is because you can go to another town, for example, let's just say you go to another town for a vacation, another city, and you eat at the same restaurants, you see the same stores, you see the same strip centers, type of strip centers, you see the same chain restaurants. That's not really um, appealing to a lot of people. You know, some people might figure, why not just stay home? Well, why, why am I going to go to another town? To, and I don't want to pick on any particular chain restaurants, but um, I think you you all understand what I'm trying to get at here is that um, what, well, what we do is we, we keep things unique. We have an area in Dallas, Texas, and we don't allow chain restaurants in. Um, and um, keep things unique. Um, keep things historical, keep the buildings historical, keep the tenant mix uh, unique and kind of like mom and pop or and custom unique. And it just makes for a better for a lot of people. If you like historical buildings, if you like um, unique mom and pop places to eat, drink, party, stuff like that. Um, then um, there are certain communities and certain areas that are for you. Um, so um, that's, we focus a lot on that, but we also have a lot of uh, warehouses. We have um, restaurants, industrial, residential lofts, um, retail. And so we have that type of portfolio that I um, manage right now. And so that is about all I want to talk about with regard to myself. That's not my favorite topic is talking about myself, but I felt like the, you all as guests of this podcast um, would like to know who, who the, the host is a little bit about the host. And so there you go. There's a little bit about me. Um, in my background, maybe more than you wanted to hear, but, um, so what the intent of this podcast, I, we wanted to interview people, go over the news. I did go over my resume and my background. I wanted to do that. So that's a good thing that I got that out of the way. I'm not into talking about myself. I really want to be, want this podcast to be about the news and helping keep people keep informed about what's going on in real estate um, all the way from um, looking at articles, reading. I do have a 
a stack of some articles I'd like to go over. Um, but from that to, um, like, like I said earlier, the occasional host who can come on and, and add some um, information about what they do, how they do it, how they got started. Um, we do have some good, couple good guests coming in the future for future pro- podcasts. So they are, they're in the hopper, ready to come on. And um, that should be good to listen to them. And I don't want to announce anybody yet, but I do have a couple good guests lined up coming up. And um, we'll just leave it at that for right now. Um, but the content of the show, it could be residential heavy at times. It could be commercial heavy at times. And what I mean by heavy, I mean by emphasizing residential real estate or commercial real estate. Um, that's my goal. Isn't really to focus on either one of them. Um, it would be to find a balance. Hopefully I know about both. I've done both. Um, and it's really not about what I know. Um, but it's about what we're going to talk about in going on in the news. And like I say, it's, um, I want to try to find a balance. I live in Dallas, Texas. Great. It's a great place. Texas is a great place to be, but I don't want this podcast to be too Dallas or Texas heavy either. Um, I want it to be about, well, I want it to be international. Um, talk about international to a certain extent, mostly the United States and what's going on in the United States with regard to the real estate, but occasionally um, international things as well. Um, so that is, um, you know, what, what, and then I would like to say what the podcast is not about. We're not here to give legal advice, investment advice, or any other advice to people. It may come across that way at times, but that's not the goal and that's not what we want to do. Um, the guests, we want them to talk about what they've done and how they've done it. And people, and the, the, the guests that we're going to have on the show. And then for the listener, the listener can take what they want from that. They can try to copy what that person's done, maybe part of what that person's done, um, or none of it. But they just may want to listen, see how they how they do that. But this, I like real estate, and that's why I'm doing this podcast. I like staying informed, and it's going to force me to um, stay up with real estate news, which is fine and good. I want to do that. Um but at the same time, it'll allow the listener to listen and keep up with the news. Um, so that's the service I'd like to provide to the listener. Is so the listener can keep up with some of the real estate news, trends, what's going on. And at the same time, have the occasional guest. I want to have some good guests. I don't want to just have guests for the sake of having guests and have people... I don't want this podcast to be about me stressing out every week. I'd like to have weekly updates of this podcast, but I don't want to stress out every week about finding guests. Um, I think the guests will come. Um, they will, if it turns out to be a good podcast, 
they will come and they will add to the podcast. But I thought about it and I don't want to be chasing guests all the time. I don't have the time for that. I have a very busy job and it's easy for me to find news articles and to read them, not just read them, but talk about them, read, read them to a certain extent, talk about them and uh, comment on them. But at the same time, I don't have time to search for guests all the time and chase after guests, schedule guests. I will have time to do that and I will make time to do that a little bit, but I can't have this podcast be about that. So, um, it will, it will have, it will have some of that, but it can, I don't want it to be focused on all of that. Plus I, there's a lot of interesting news out there and many people just want to listen to a podcast and get updated on the news. Um, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. We may have ads in the future to a little bit of ads here and there, but I'm not trying to get business unnecessarily as a, we, we have a lot of business. I do a lot of business, um, with the company I work for. Um, but we advertise and we have our ways of getting tenants. And so that's not what this podcast is about is for me to get more tenants. Um, sure. If it helps, that's great. Um, or if we can, you know, put together a deal, help somebody put together a deal someday here in Dallas. That's great too, but that's not the, the main focus of what this is about. It's not even really a, a big focus at all. It's just, if it happens, it happens, but it, that's not the focus of this podcast for you guys to hear me try to hustle things to you. That's not, that's not what it's about. I don't want to do that. And I don't think you want to hear that. Um, it's a free podcast. We may have an ad or two in the future, but overall it's free. I'm not going to have to sign up for anything. And, um, but not here to give legal advice. I'm not, I'm actually not even, uh, I'm, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not active as a lawyer. I, and I never want to give legal advice anymore for two reasons. <laughs> for one reason is I'm not supposed to, because I'm not active and I'm not staying active. But secondly, um, there's a reason for that. They don't, they, if you're inactive, you don't have to take as many classes or you don't have to keep up with the classes that an active lawyer does. You're not practicing law day to day. Um, and so the reason for that is they don't want people like me um, going back into the past or going back in their memory and spouting off legal advice that could be very well wrong. So we're not going to do that here. Not going to give um, tax advice, legal accounting, investment advice. That's not what this show is about. It's not to give real estate investment advice either. It's really not. Um, real estate is a tough investment. All investments can be tough. Real estate's no exception at all. Um, I like it. For, it's the investment that I particularly like, but it's not. this is not a, a real estate advice or try to steer you in some direction towards some type of real estate investment. And so it's just 
It's for educational entertainment purposes. That's what this podcast is about. Do your own research. Um, we do have a po- um, website. HTTP www.robertiker.com So basically www.robertiker.com And um, that's the website. If you'd like to look at the website. There's not much there right now. But wanted to have a website that you could go to. So um, you could click on it for a couple of things. But it's really not there to provide a, a whole bunch of information. It's there just so we have a website that you can refer to and link to. And so the guests can link to it and learn a little bit about what the podcast is about. So it's not there to provide a bunch of listings or real estate listings or anything like that. Um, it's just not, that's not the purpose, but you're welcome to go there. We'd like you to go there. Um, and I think in the future, you know, there might be, I mean, well, there already is a way you can email me questions or not questions, questions. I mean, like I say, I'm not going to give legal advice or investment advice, but we can talk about questions or you can comment or ask me to talk about certain things. And I'd certainly be happy to um, look at that and go over things that you, you all are interested in. Um, so, you know, you should consult with your own tax, legal, accounting advisors, investment advisors, real estate advisors, if you want to get involved in that, because we are not here for that purpose. Please don't rely on us for those purposes. Um, I could go on and on with the disclaimers, but investors may not get back money they invested. Um, so... Those kind of things are there. They're on the website too. Further disclaimers. Um, and warnings. Warnings about real estate. Warnings. Any any investment. Um, I don't understand a lot of investments. I don't understand. Um, necessarily investing in companies. That are run by people I don't know doing things that I may not know much about. So I do have some stock investments and I do invest in the market, but not like directly. Like what I'm talking about is like, I have mutual funds, things like that. Um, I've tried that before and I'm, you certainly don't want me handling your money in the stock market. Let's just put it that way. Um, it's not, I, I really do think the whole, the whole thing is very difficult. I'm going to try not to use any stronger words than that. But I just think it's very much, the stock market can be very much geared towards the people that do it every day. That know how to make things happen in their favor and... I'm not one of them. Um, so I like real estate because, well, that's another thing. Stocks, stocks can go up and they can go down to nothing. I, I suppose real estate can go down to nothing. Yeah, I know it can. Um, there's real estate out there that you couldn't give me. <laughs> 
you'd say, well, why wouldn't you want somebody to give you real estate? Well, for one thing is, let's just take, I don't want to pick on Detroit, but it, it just popped into my mind. They're, and it, it may be different now. That's part of the, the point of this podcast is I'm trying to get more educated about things. But there was a point in Detroit where homes, you, you wouldn't even, you couldn't, you couldn't give them to people. Because uh, real estate is a responsibility. You have to keep up with maintenance, taxes, insurance, um, and um, so if you give somebody, even give them real estate, they still have to have all that burden, and then they got to find tenants, or flip it, or do whatever to make to make it um, a viable investment. And some of those, some investments are just too tough, too tough for me. That's for sure. Um, there's, there's tough people that know how to go in and do things in, in all sorts of environments. And, um, I have done some, some things that other people have considered tough, but, um, I guess the point of what I'm trying to make is, um, real estate as compared to, back to my original point, uh, real estate as compared to the stock market, to me, is a little bit easier to understand. Um, it's not going to take off to a foreign country. It's not going to drive away to Mexico. You can't drive it away. Um, you're not going to necessarily have a scandal with some CEO, and then the next day your real estate is worth pennies of what it was the day before because there was a scandal or something um it's not it's not free of scandal it's not free of problems like that but i just don't think it's the same as the stock market in a lot of ways and and if i sound ignorant of the stock market so be it i'm going to continue to be because i just don't understand it and i don't really want to understand it i like real estate that's what I mainly focus on. I'm pretty absorbed in it. I've always been absorbed in it. And um, I'll let the people that are absorbed in the stock market stay stay that way. And I'll, they can stay in their world and I'll stay in my world. Um, but real estate is in the stock market. Like I say, I worked for a $40 billion real estate investment trust. And they were publicly traded. So you can go buy stock in them, um, which makes them, they're a real estate company, they're a Wall Street company. So at, at a certain point when real estate gets to be that, to that point, um, you know, are you, are you a stock or are you a real, are you, is there real estate? It's both. Um, it's stock backed by real estate investments, which is good. I think is good is a, is a good notion. However, one of the things is you've got quarterly numbers you got to meet, and when you're making those, got to meet those quarterly numbers to satisfy Wall Street. Well, that's great. You know, from the Wall Street people's standpoint. You got to watch the 
cash in, cash out, all that stuff. Um, make sure that you're keeping Wall Street happy. Well, with real estate, really when you back it away from that, um, you can't. What I'm trying to say is I think real estate can be negatively affected by being intertwined with the demands of, of Wall Street quarterly reporting or twice a year reporting, whatever, um, monthly reporting, monthly numbers, um, Sometimes real estate, oftentimes real estate, at least from my perspective, has to have a big, broad view. It's not without complications. It's I think it's actually one of the most complicated investments there there is. It's extremely complicated um, because there's so many things that can go wrong. There are a lot of things that can go right and it sure looks like that in this environment but there's a lot that can be go can go wrong um i lived in florida in 2007 2008 and my goodness the things i saw in terms of real estate but in turn well because that's when we had the crash um most of you would remember that but we it affected real estate, had a like a 50% price drop on a lot of the real estate in, in Florida and nationwide, like a lot of places. Um, I think Texas had a little bit more of a buffer against it, um, but like Vegas, just, just a lot of places. They took a 50% haircut um, on the values of their of the property. And that will get your attention um, when that happens, especially over a short period of time. Some people, and I'm hearing more and more people, say that we are possibly entering into a similar situation right now in the United States. Are we in a bubble? Is real estate gone out of control? Many people have said that. As a matter of fact, that leads me to an article. Speaking of that, this is a bond manager. Okay, so that starts sounding real Wall Street-ish to me. But that's fine. This is an um, article from Bloomberg written by John Gittleshawn. And... Um, April 28, 2022. So it's about a bond manager. His name is Mark Kiesel. Kiesel. I hope I'm saying all these names right, but doing my best. Mark Kiesel, he said he sold his California home in 2006 when he presciently predicted the housing bubble would pop. Okay. And he bought it again in 2012 after prices fell more than 30% and found a floor. So that's his history. And so he did well. He got out. I did well too during that time, but it wasn't necessarily because I was so smart. It was because I wanted to move to Florida, but it just, the timing turned out great for me. 
Um, but I, I did look awfully smart at the time. Um, but I don't like to take credit for being so smart when it was luck or just the way it worked out. Um, but anyways, um, the article goes on to say sky high values, soaring interest rates and other costs of home ownership, maintenance, property taxes and utilities dampen prospects for future appreciation, according to Kiesel the chief investment officer for global credit at Pacific Investment Management Company. So, let's hear that again, what he said. Sky-high values, yes, we have those. Soaring interest rates, um, we don't have that yet. I think we're getting there. It's, it could, could happen soon. Every time you listen to the news, it seems like they're talking about raising interest rates, the Fed. So... And I think they will be. And I think they'll be doing it more than a quarter of a percent each time. Um, so that's getting worse, interest rates. And then he says other costs of home ownership, maintenance, property, taxes, and utilities. Well, and that's great. Home ownership. Is home ownership, is owning a home really a, a real estate investment? Well, it is. But it's, a, it's more of a place to live. This guy's looking at it as an investment. And that's why he wants to get in and get out at different times and time it. It says he's weighing putting his Orange County house on the market and becoming a renter rather than an owner. And this is in quotes. He says, I can look at my long-term 25-year charts and they tell me when to buy and sell and they're flashing orange right now. Kiesel. 52 said during an interview at, at PIMCO's Newport Beach, California headquarters, I think we're in the final innings. And that's what he says. And I I don't think he's entirely wrong. A lot of people are seeing just a very heated market, in, especially in homes. Um, I'm seeing it all over the country. Everybody's seeing it. Um, and so, the article goes on to say, home prices soared almost 20% in 12 months through February, according to S&P. So, 20% in a 12-month period. That's, that's, that's a crazy amount of interest. I mean, of um, percentage increase. Even at 5% a year, you can do very well in real estate. For 20, 20% is really, really good. However, the higher it gets up in those levels, you start to wonder and worry how sustainable it is. And if, and it does start looking like a bubble. I'm not saying this guy is right or he's wrong. Um, he's probably more right than wrong. He says, uh, and then right now the average 30 year rate is now 5.1%. And I didn't know that. That's close to a 12-year high. So interest rates have really ticked up. Um, so the days of 3% interest rates are, are seem to be in our rearview mirror right now. Article goes on to say home sales contracts, a leading indicator, fell for the fifth consecutive month in March. 
as rising borrowing costs added to affordability pressures, the National Association of Realtors reported. So, yes, every tick up in interest rates, for example, if you're looking to buy a home and the interest rates tick up, then every time they tick up, the amount of house you can afford goes down. And so as that happens, the less houses are going to be selling. I mean, the, the houses are selling and they're going up and up, but I don't see, personally, I don't see income going up along with it. And um, so the article says that prophetic choices. Kiesel's possible sale is a personal move and not a forecast of a price by PIMCO. I'm, I'm sorry, not a forecast of a crash by PIMCO, which in March put out a note predicting no bust after the boom. Okay, so it's a personal move and not a forecast of a crash by, by his company, PIMCO. So they're saying they're not predicting a bust after the boom. I don't really necessarily see a bust either. Um, I, what I definitely see is a slowdown in the rate of increase. Nothing goes up, keeps going up like like it's been going up in home 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 prices. Nothing ever ever continues to go up like that, and without stopping. So, is it going to crash? I don't know, but. I definitely think it's going to, the rate of increase has got to slow down. It's unsustainable. So just moving through a few more things um, that I wanted to talk about tonight. The top real estate markets attracting the out-of-state buyers. This is another article. And this was by Brenda Richardson, senior contributor for Forbes. The top real estate markets attracting out-of-state buyers. Okay, so the top 10 destinations in rank order were El Paso, Texas. I'm very familiar with that. My um, mother was born there. I have lots of family there. So, but let me, let me just go through the list here. Right. So El Paso, Texas, number one. Albuquerque, New Mexico, number two. Washington, D.C. So these are the top 10 in destinations that people are heading right now so Birmingham Alabama Hartford Connecticut Omaha Nebraska McAllen Texas New York City Augusta Georgia and Greensboro North Carolina article goes on to say after two years of pandemic remote work offices have started to reopen but instead of seeing a slowdown in the number of people interested in, in homes out of state, we're seeing an acceleration. Taking a closer look at the top destinations, we see some very different trends driving the desire to live out of state and home shoppers' diverse needs. First, affordability remains a key focus for buyers, with demand for less expensive areas surging in recent months. As climbing inflation and mortgage rates compound cost pressures, faced by buyers. All you got to do is go to the grocery store and you can see inflation. 
is just beginning to rage, I'm afraid, go to the gas station. And, of course, when energy prices go up, everything's going to keep going up because everything relies on energy to happen. <clears throat> so, that's kind of the gist of that article, is that people are trying to find cheaper places to live and a lot of people are able to continue to work at good companies but they can do it remotely now so they can live wherever they want to live and many of them are not going to continue to live in high-priced places but they're going to take their big income and go to a lower cost of living place and uh, and enjoy a better way of life um so that's what many people are doing and that's one of the results of the pandemic is that people have some people who can work remotely are are taking their remote working abilities and living in a, in a place that's less expensive so that's pretty cool for those people uh, another article I have here is Florida is the least affordable place to live in the U.S. So, coming from Florida, um, I see, I mean, there's a lot of people going to Florida right now. I'm not trying to bash Florida by reading this article, it's just what it says. It talks about there's several key housing trains trends making it pricier and harder in florida uh, rents and home prices are soaring at their fastest rate in years in florida raising the financial burdens burden on millions of working and middle class households already struggling to afford a place to live a lot of people are pouring into florida after especially after the pandemic from places like new york which were not real fun to live in during the pandemic i'm sure and so they've a lot of people from New York and places like that are moving to Florida. Well, it's making the the rents and home prices soar. Um, and now inflation. So add all that together. Let's say you're living in Florida. Your home prices go up. Well, your taxes are going up. So now your property taxes are going up. Um, and, um, or if you're renting, now your rent's going up, now inflation's going up, now everything else you're buying is going up, your living prices are going up, so, um, it's putting the squeeze hard on a lot of people, if, if not almost everybody. Um, and then it says, goes on to say, in February, Realtor.com designated Miami as America's least affordable place to live. Average monthly rents in the metro area are at 2930 on par with San Francisco and Los Angeles. And double the level considered affordable for people in the region giving local incomes. And I know this from experience. Florida... It is a largely tourist-based economy. Um, that's part of the reason I don't live there anymore. I'm not... I love Florida. 
but um the the you don't see a lot of huge corporations necessarily picking Florida to live in and to manufacture things things like that so um my I didn't know that but Miami is on par with getting on par with San Francisco and Los Angeles actually it's it's worse it's the least affordable so Miami's typical rent takes up a, a whopping 60% of households typical income that means what you have left after rent is 40% of what you make to, for your car your food your entertainment your retirement everything 60% just goes to put a roof over your head and then if you're renting it's a you're paying the landlord that that money um so anyway don't want to dwell on that article too much more um there is a severe short this will be the final article i talk about tonight and for this first podcast um, there's never been such a severe shortage of homes in the U.S., and here's why. Oh, I, I need to give credit for these articles. In fact, I forgot to give credit for the last one. The last one about Florida being the least affordable place was a CBS News article by Irina Ivanova, Money Watch. Um, this next article is an NPR article by Chris Arnold saying there's never been such a severe shortage of homes in the U.S. And here's why. Um, it's talking about a builder. Emerson Claus has been building houses for 45 years, but he's never faced delays like he's now having in getting basic building materials. He says, I had a client ask me to add a door. And he says, we just waited six months to get it, a door. I heard a story the other day in Dallas that they've had some apartment complexes go up and they can't get refrigerators. Um, in fact, that was just yesterday um, at a luncheon I went to um, that I heard that. Uh, it was a real estate luncheon. So they can't open the apartment complex because they can't get refrigerators. So anyway, this guy says he waited six months to get a door. He says, that's a door in a frame, Claus says, exasperated. That's kind of crazy. He says appliances can be even worse. Well, there you go. Just like I just said, a dishwasher, if you can find the model you want right now, you might wait a year for it. Wow. That, that goes in line with what I was just saying about the refrigerators. Um, waiting a year for a dishwasher. That's just hard to get my head around. Um, by one estimate, the U.S. is more than 3 million homes short of the demand from would-be home buyers. Pandemic-related supply chain problems aren't helping. They're adding tens of thousands of dollars in cost to the typical house. But the roots of the problem go back much further to the housing bubble collapse in 2008 what I call a bloodbath happened happened 
says Claus. It was the worst housing market crash since the Great Depression. I was talking about that earlier in this podcast. Many home builders went out of business. Claus was building houses in Florida when the bottom fell out. He says, a lot of my trains people... Oh yeah, this is very interesting. A lot of my trades people found other work, went and got retrained for new jobs in law enforcement, all sorts of jobs. So the workforce was somewhat decimated. And I experienced that too in my job. I have trouble finding contractors. Um, really a lot of trouble at times. And they get busy. They, um, they get bid fatigue. And what that means is... I got to bid a lot of things out and I got to get three bids. Well, Dallas is so fast paced right now. And I, you know, when I talk about per personal experience, I'm, I'm going to refer to Dallas a lot. Um, just because this is where I live. Um, but the, the bid fatigue issue is, for example, let's just say I, I got to remodel an office space, whatever. And I got to get three bids for it. So I get three bids. Okay, so two of them don't win the bid. Two of those guys just, or companies, just spent a lot of time and effort working up a bid and a proposal for me to do that job. And they didn't get the job. They might have spent hours, um, a lot of hours, pulling together all the prices, pulling together everything they needed to put those bids together. And two out of three of them, are not going to get it. Only one of them is going to get it. And it's not always the lowest bidder. That's a whole other story. But two out of three of them are not going to get it. So they get discouraged by that. And understandably so. So they'll get discouraged by that. And um, so the next time you call them, they may not want to, they may think, well, this guy's just trying to get three bids. And uh, he's already got his favorite. They may think that that's, that may be true and it may not be true with different people in my position. Um, but that's the perception a lot of contractors have. And so they, they just, they just quit bidding and they, they're so busy. They have so much work to do that giving bids is not really high on their list. It's doing the work and uh, it's, it's vicious out there as far as trying to find people. So this guy is saying one thing that, that contributed to it is to, during 2008, a lot of the skilled tradesmen, like, for example, plumbers, electricians, framers, bricklayers, all these different types of vendors and contractors, um, there was no work at the time. There was a... There were too many houses. There was, well, I remember Florida at the time. We had whole subdivisions of houses. And then also they'd have like a big, a strip center, a retail strip center in front of it to serve those subdivisions. Well, guess what? Nobody, nobody was moving in. They were vacant. They, they built them. That's a whole nother program. That's a whole nother story. If any, we, go, we go into it sometime, but. They were building subdivisions and building and building and building. and But there were no real people buying. There, there were flippers. There were just house flippers. Flipping, flipping, flipping. And there's a 
there's been some movies made about it. Um, but they, they just flip, flip, flip. And um, then when the music stopped and the market crashed, they realized you had whole subdivisions and there were no real people living in, in the in the houses. And so the housing development failed. The strip center that was supposed to serve this housing development with no people failed. Um, and so what this guy's saying is that a lot of the workforce that built all these things, of course, they were out of work because there was a glut of property on the market. And um, so they got jobs in other industries. So now that we need them so badly, it's hard to find skilled workers. And then I think the governor of um, Florida, Ron DeSantis, is trying to address that by bringing back um, stuff like, well skilled trades training when i was in high school we had we had like wood shop auto mechanics stuff like that um i personally was in auto mechanics but uh, well i also had wood shop in junior high but anyway what my point is is that all of that seems to be gone in the schools now and there's the perception out there that everybody should go to college well i can tell you personally i know people that have not gone to college that are doing way better than people I know that have gone to college um, because they have a skilled trade and they've turned it into a business and um, they're making a lot of money or they're just making a lot of money working for somebody else with their skills. And um, so there's, there's um, electricians, I know I, I had a tenant go out of business. He had a small electrical company elect, for like, it was an electrician, electrician business. And I, I always try to ask my tenants if they, if they don't want to renew their lease, I say, well, I, I'm curious. I, I want to know, I mean, why, why are you not renewing your lease? And he says, I can't stay in business. I said, why? And he said, well, Every time I train uh, electricians to become electricians, he says, once they've had six months training with me, they go to a big electrical contractor here in Dallas and they'll make twice as much as, as I could afford to pay them. And he said over and over and over again, he would train new, guy, new guys or women. There are women in these trades too, of course, but mostly male dominated but the thing is um he'd train them over and over again and then they would be there for six months and then they'd leave and he couldn't he couldn't develop or or have a stable company because he couldn't have stable workers so what um what he ended up doing is he went to go be he, he became a an inspector in one of the smaller towns outside of Dallas. And um, so that's that's a reality. There's a lot of realities here in this article about why um, homes are, are, we have a shortage of homes. Um, 
land, land values. He says, I was just trying a piece of land to build five homes on it. Unfortunately, that land went to someone else who may put one or two on it. That's what's happening in a lot of places. They will have homes. They'll have a single family. There's places here in Dallas. They'll have single family dwelling communities. Just regular neighborhood. And then somebody will try to come in and build the exact same thing next to them, which might have been a, a field or, or a farm. And they'll get up in arms and they'll try to stop it. So they're trying to, but it's zoned for that. The area is zoned for that. But they'll say, well, we don't want, we don't want that in my backyard, not in my backyard, NIMBY. That's the term that's used for that. But so that, that goes on a lot here in Dallas. People will object to things, developments, and um, because they don't want, they don't want, for example, um, multifamily dwellings in a single family dwelling neighborhood, things like that. And so they'll, they'll put up a, a fight politically and, and they will stop many things from happening because of, because of their, um, their resistance. So, um, then this article goes on to say overly resist. Overly restrictive zoning is a big problem nationally. In some neighborhoods, you simply cannot build townhouses. You have to build single-family lots in, in many places. Um, some people are happy about that if you're already there. But if you can't find a house, um, interest rates are going up and there's no houses on the market. Uh, that's one of the phenomenons that's happening here in Dallas and across the country is their um, your house may be worth a lot or it looks like it's worth a lot and the, the taxing authorities are certainly thinking it's worth a lot um, when it comes to tax paying time but if you sell it you still have to have a place to live and so a lot of people are um, realizing that they don't want to go live in the middle of nowhere, especially after they've been used to living in a major urban area with all the things to do that it has. Um, so there's just very little, um, there are very few homes coming on the market, even though the prices they could get are pretty great right now because the people just aren't selling because they have the, they have a need for some place to live. So Anyway, that's going to wrap up this this podcast. Thank you for listening. This is the first one. And um, sorry about the extra talk about myself, but it won't happen again. Um, all that resume stuff, I did, I did want to cover that. But thank you all for listening and look forward to having you as regular lis listeners. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.